This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Panther Puri. I'm your host, Jacob Langsam. Here with me, as always, are my co-hosts, TJ Peterson and Alex Lopez. And joining us today, a very special guest, uh, my new sword. I own a sword now. And it's with me as I'm recording. Sword, yeah. how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. That's what my sword sounds like now. We're doing Ken. this podcast under duress. Like we are <laughs> we are scared for our lives. It is extremely not sharp, but it can still be used as a blunt object. So it's really more of a sword-shaped club. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the point is that the Panthers draft, or rather the NHL draft, uh, is complete as of uh, as of the end of this this week. I say that as if it took like an entire week to draft. It kind of felt like it did. I'll be honest. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention. The Panthers had seven picks uh, starting in the third round. Uh, No first, no second. Those were all given up as part of trades to acquire players such as Sam Reinhart, uh, Sam Bennett, others, I imagine. No, I think that was escaping me. I think that was it. No, the first was used in the Sam Reinhardt trade. The second was used in the Sam Oh, Bennett no, trade. I'm thinking of Claude Giroux and Ben Chirot for all Yeah, but those are future years. And future year years, after. yeah. Yeah. Um, so lots of, lots of, uh, the Panthers are going to be short on early draft picks for, for a couple of years here. Yeah, they have two seconds, or including the one they used this year, they have two third round picks and one second round pick in the next three drafts, including the last one, including the one that just happened. So, yeah. Yeah. So, since we are not draft scouts, our analysis is going to be relatively shallow, but TJ mostly is going to talk about how he feels about the picks as the one of the three of us, I think, who did the most uh, research into this year's draft. Like I said, I have the elite prospects uh, thing, the PDF. Right, that's Shout what I said, the most research of the three of us. Tommy's with us as well. He, he uh, is very interested in these players because they're the closest to his age. So are these he's, players... he's also got some expertise. No, not quite. These players are not quite closer to Tommy's age than ours. Not quite. Well, we're not that old well, yet. Well, they're closer to... Old, but it's like a year away from Tommy being closer than I am. Wow. No, you've still got a few years, Alex. No, the, the prospects are 18. Oh, that's right. Tommy's the ones who are 17, two. yeah. I'm going to be 34 next draft. So I think next year, Tommy's going to be closer to the age than I will. That is correct. Actually, no, I'll be 16. No, it'll be 16, 16. Holy shit. And we'll give the tie tie to the person who's not over. Guys, it's really hitting me how old I was. Because I remember when I was a kid, even though I knew I had no shot to get drafted, I'm like, oh, my draft year is coming up. And now I have a kid who is closer to his draft year than I am. I will never forget 
playing sports games in like 2012. That being the first time that my created characters, I actually had to like scroll to my birth year if I wanted to be perfectly matched up and not just be the youngest possible that I could be. That, that hit me hard. And that was 10 years ago. And I oh, yeah, shouldn't I, have done that to myself. 10 just years now ago, because, we had shit. jobs, hopes, and cash. Uh, and now no, what do we have? I, I only had one of those three things 10 years ago. Now I have two of them. I'll let you guess which two. <laughs> guys, you only have one job, so I'm, I'm going to go with hope and cash. So do you guys want to go ahead and start talking about the drafted players? Yes, um, TJ, please go ahead and start talking about the drafted players. I don't even remember all of their names. I couldn't tell you a single name. Well, I the only thing that I know is we did not draft Anton Lundell's younger brother. We can talk did about Lundell's that. Did brother in a get minute. drafted, period? No. He did not. All right. So, 93rd overall, Panthers' first pick of the draft. They took Marek Alshare, Czech defenseman playing in the WHL for the Portland Winter Hawks. Uh, did he you was say ranked. Marek? I'm it's, thinking it's, it's Marek. So, definitely Marek. All right. Fine. Marek. Marek Alshare. And uh, he's a, a big guy. He's six foot three, two hundred pounds, and he played on the third pairing this year for Portland. And it really looks like they reached for the big, hulking defensive defenseman who does not have any offensive potential. I'm looking at the micro stats that were provided by Elite Prospects and their draft guide. He's got good transition numbers. His zone exit numbers are all excellent. Oh, that's but great. Defensively, he's really just like lowercase g good, above average. Offensively, looks like a black hole. His uh, closest comparables that made the NHL are guys like Clayton Stoner, Braden Coburn, Dion Phaneuf, Joel Edmondson, Paul Postma, you know, Alex Petrovic also on here. These are guys that you know, they made the NHL. And if he makes the NHL and he has that kind of impact in the third round, that's honestly a successful pick. But there's so many guys that did not make the NHL with this kind of profile. So you're setting yourself up to say, oh, there's like a 5 to 10% chance that he could be a third pairing depth defenseman that provides zero value, basically. Well, not zero value, but like maybe if you're lucky, one like window of replacement a year. Yeah. Well, well, let me cut you off there, TJ. There's only a 10% chance. It's like something like something minuscule, like 10% to 12% chance that a third round pick plays 100 games in the NHL anyway. I, I don't disagree. Uh, that even seems high. Analysis. Huh? That even seems high, a 10 to 12% chance for the third round. Right. And, and I'm not trying to say you're wrong, TJ, about your evaluation. I'm just saying, like, the way this, you know, you're picking in the third round, late third round at that. Because remember, the Panthers were a good team this year, so I think it was like the 28th pick in the third round. Your odds of, like, it's essentially a fourth-round pick. This, you know, uh, and I'll give you my short draft analysis now before I say what I want to do later, what I wish they had done later. This draft is a success if you get 100 total games from the entire draft class. Yep. I don't disagree. But the thing is, like, the, and I'm not going to say this about every pick, but I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, what is the upside of this? Like you, you drafted somebody where the best case scenario seems to be that they're somebody that could easily be replaced by a free agent signing that makes $1.25 million a year, you know? Yes. 
I don't understand. Like you're just throwing darts. If your first pick is in the third round, in the late third, you're throwing darts. That's that's all there really is to understand. I mean, sure, but like this, they're dart... taking a shot at someone who has a decent draft profile that also fills a team need. I know, but and if they can develop some of the skills that he's not as good at, then cool. Well, hold on. Let me defend what I think is TJ's point here because I actually agree with him here. In the NHL draft, you should always be throwing darts at impact players. Yes, I know there's a lot less of them in the third round, but your dart shouldn't be throwing at someone who, exactly what TJ says, projects as a Radko Gudis-type player, which is you can get in free agency for one to two million AAV. You should be drafting someone with an elite trait that's hard to find, whether it's speed or stick handling or shooting ability something that you can't teach that if you could round out the other portions of the game, you end up with a 5 million AAV player on an ELC. That's the dart you should be throwing. And that's where I think what TJ's point is. That's fine. But we don't know how many of those there were. We don't know how many of those the team had identified. No, we don't. And like, I I don't normally go to bat like that for questionable decision-making, but I don't know. It's if you're if your first pick is in the late third, you're just taking what's there. Absolutely. All right. You know, there, it's not as evident. Like finding finding those diamonds in the rough is not as easy at that point. So if you're if you're going to find someone who's decent in their own end, and by the way, Radko Gudis does not match that profile. Not quite. Um, Gudis is not a black hole offensively. Gudis has not the best transition game. Like he's known sure for his mean streak on defense, but like that's that's about where we draw the line. I, I do have one big. bit of analysis for this prospect, though. I do actually have something I remember. Apparently, his favorite food is spaghetti carbonara, which is my favorite food. Oh, so, so this is now some... your favorite player? No, Alex. That's, that's how this works. This is now your favorite player. I'm not no. asking. It's still Barkov. I'm sorry. Also, spaghetti carbonara is like the most unhealthiest pasta there is. Yeah, For those of you who don't know what spaghetti sauce carbonara is. sauce and cheese and bacon. Yes, it's literally cream sauce, cheese, and bacon. You make the sauce by mixing heavy cheese and eggs. That's the sauce. Not heavy cheese. Heavy cream, eggs, and Parmesan cheese. No wonder wish you had Carb loading. I mean, but that's what you got to do if you're a professional athlete. You got to carb load. Yeah, but it is freaking delicious. It is. It is quite good. Um, let's not get uh He also shares a here. first name with a Yu-Gi-Oh villain, so. And last name with, uh, well, he doesn't share a last name, but his first name is Jeff Merrick's last name, so that's cool. Anyway, Jeff Merrick's last name right? is the same as a Yu-Gi-Oh villain. All right. Yeah, that's season two, right? Battle City, yeah. Battle City, yep, yep. All right. He's a very so... good villain. In Moving the fourth on. round, the Panthers went with a Swedish defenseman at 125 overall in the Allsvenskan, who I'm not going to try to pronounce his team name. But uh, Ludwig Janssen was the pick. He was not ranked, although they own, the Elite Prospects only ranked 121 players, so this was a 125th pick. Still doesn't have a very high uh, probability of success. I mean, even relative to fourth-round picks from their uh, – from their thing 
in the J20 league, he scored four points in nine games in the Allsvenskan, which again is not the SHL. That's the second division in Sweden. He had five points in 47 games. Their scouting report on him pretty much says that like he does have skills, but he plays in a way that like a, a coach would hate. He makes questionable decisions, just really chaotic. But I mean, this more so I think is what we were talking about. A guy that like has some at least like NHL level traits, like the potential to be NHL level at a certain few things. And just like, doesn't have the hockey IQ, at least from what I'm inferring that scouts are implying to round it all out at the, you know, even the Swedish second division level right now to be an impact guy. If you only have five points in 47 games, you're not an impact player. I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying that, but you know, it's the fourth round. So you, you identify a guy with like at least the potential to be NHL level at a lot of things. And that this could be a pick that works out. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that I thought it was a great pick, but it, I can see the process here that I don't see with the third round pick. It's a great pick for one reason. It gives us the potential of a Ludwig Ludwig pairing. Yes. That's my analysis on this pick. End of, end of, end of analysis from Jacob. Yeah, Zito described his skating as elite, which I don't know if that's necessarily what scouts would describe it as, but it, they do describe it as pretty good. Like this is highest rated trade. That's good. My, my analysis would, is for this pick is if we were going to go off the name thing, we should have drafted Elias Pettersson. So we could have pulled that move that scumbags pulled back in the day in fantasy football, where you traded the Ricky Williams that played for the Colts <laughs> as if he was Ricky Williams that played for the Dolphins. Or and the Islanders, I, Sebastian Ajo. Exactly. That's the, if we were going to play the name game instead of matching Ludwig, we should have drafted Elias Pettersson, and then you know tried to like trick you know ancient Holland over there in, in Edmonton that we were trading in Elias Pettersson as part of a three-team deal for like. I think this years. is why the Canucks did it because they can be like, we'll trade you Elias Pettersson. And then other teams wouldn't have to be like, well, you don't have the Elias Pedersen that's actually good. But they could you easily know. be like, which one? Not if they're smart. I, Elias Pedersen, like the good one, wears number 40, right? Yeah. I really hope like they put this Pedersen, if he ever makes it to the show, as number 48. So the numbers are almost exactly alike in terms of visual. They should absolutely, especially in that Canucks font. They should absolutely yes. do it. Uh, I think that this is enough analysis on this guy. Uh, so we're we about to more time talking about someone else. Let's uh, let's talk about Santos Vilmanis, uh, the fifth round pick that they made from Lulia, also in Sweden. But he's not Swedish; he's Latvian. So to uh, to reference Michael Rappaport, they drafted who? This motherfucker might not even have a fucking green card. Have you guys ever seen that clip? I have not. Oh, it's so I good. Have not. E- Ethan. Uh, shout out to Ethan. Happy birthday, Ethan. He replied uh, with it when this guy got drafted, and it just uh, brought back so many good memories of when the Knicks drafted Kristaps Porzingis, and he did not know where Latvia was. So uh, this guy's Latvian. This all that to say, this guy's Latvian. Six foot one, two hundred pounds, good forward. You know, he uh, is somebody that Chris Peters seemed to like. So you know, shout out to that. Scouting report describes him as playing a little bit slow, which is something that always troubles me in particular. Not that I'm like some prospect expert, but I want guys that can process NHL level game. I feel like if you can't do that, that's 
you can't, you really can't overcome that. Even if you have elite speed, you know, elite shot, you know, something like that, blah, blah, blah. You get it. That's something that's very difficult to overcome. However, he is a guy that impressed uh, some people in the uh, U18s playing for a weak team, kind of buried in here in Sweden. We'll probably play at World Juniors this upcoming uh, August because that Latvia is going to be there and there's there's just not that many good Latvian players. <laughs> so here, here's a guy that has the potential to, you know, because he's playing in Sweden, because he's going to play for the Latvian national team, uh, play against some top competition and maybe show something more. So even though, like I said, the the stuff about the processing speed really worries me, like I, I can, again, see where they're going with this one. It's not my favorite pick of the draft. That will come later, but like, I definitely see the vision. So what uh, you're saying sure. is we drafted the next Zemus Gergensen. Sure. I mean, that would be fine in the fifth round. I mean, Zemus Gergensen is a good defensive forward. I think this is more of an offensive potential kind of pick, but maybe they said that about Gergensen himself. So, I mean, again, you're just in the fourth or fifth, we're in the fifth round. Now you're looking for 50 NHL games to call the pick a hit. So whatever. Yep. 157th overall. I'm sure not many guys that have been drafted in that position have turned out to be great players. Uh, so let's go to the sixth round and Panthers drafted another forward here, uh, Canadian this time, not Latvian. And uh, I know it, it's Latvian, but that's how uh, Michael Rappaport said it. Josh Davies was the pick at 186th overall, 5'10", 200 pound forward playing for Swift Current. Uh, the scouting report on him is basically that he is a battering ram. He loves to hit guys. He loves to go after the puck on the four check. He has offensive ability that scouts are kind of confused, hasn't turned into more production. Maybe it's he needs to repurpose his motivation. I'm not particularly positive on that, but I, I do think that this guy has some potential to be like your, your Mason Marchment type. I mean, you know, we've seen how, how good Mason Marchment was on the four check this year. And there's clear value in something like that. His physicality is rated a, a seven out of 10 by elite prospects, which is that's really high for this range of the draft. His, all his micro stats are very strong uh, transition in the eighties out of a hundred defense in the eighties out of a hundred overall 77 out of a hundred only really his passing micro stats seem to be weak. So this is where you start getting into the point in the draft where I feel like the Panthers did pretty well getting this guy in the sixth round, which again, there's a small chance he ever even sets foot on NHL ice. But like, if you're going to take shots in the, in this part of the draft, you want to look for those abilities that haven't turned into production. Yeah. You're not, you're not finding guys who scored, you know, one and a half points per game in the CHL at this point, unless there's something really wrong with them off the ice or they're not a hockey guy and, you know, they're five foot five. So you're literally throwing darts. And that's kind of why, I mean, not to take another shot at Bukla that we haven't danced on him enough, but like him just, you know, kept, you know, mentioning all through day two, how he helped draft Mackenzie Weger. Like, I mean, he finally admitted at one point, like one of the scouts, like banged the table for Weger, but it's just like, dude, you threw a dart and got lucky. Like you can't ever say like, Oh, we knew Mackenzie Weger had the potential to be a top 30 defenseman in the NHL. Because if you did, you wouldn't have waited till the lot, the seventh round. You would have done it right. like the third or fourth. Like absolutely, Colton Pareko. That's the story of a guy where it's like, hey, we knew something 
on a guy who wasn't even ranked and we, you know, took him early in the third round to make sure or Braden point. Like those are stories of teams like having a conviction in the seventh round. You're praying. Jake, any comment on Davies? No, none whatsoever. I know nothing about him. Well, I sent you the scouting report if you do want to take a look. You sent me the scouting report right as we started recording. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not saying you <laughs> need to look right. With Panther Puri. I was about to say with PTP. All right. <clears throat> uh, let's go uh, to the goalie the Panthers drafted, which I think you should always take a goalie in a draft because you, you just never know with goalies. It Wait, seems to be more common these days that people are, are – hitting in the first round i mean if we look at all the most recent first round goalies you got guys like vasilevsky ottinger samsonov wasn't necessarily a hit but like he played well in the playoffs i'm i'm sure i'm missing a few guys carrie price won the first round spencer knight looks like he's going to be good Jack Campbell. and uh now in the sixth round the panthers drafted tyler muselic from the usntdp and you know he's a goalie so again like it doesn't even really matter like what exactly his traits are and aren't because a lot of this can change and you just kind of want to take swings. But uh, the scouting report on him is basically that he's a little bit too safe, that he's got good fundamentals, but what he needs to grow into is a guy that has that unpredictable breakaway move, like the Vasilevsky poke check that we saw him do with the stick turned over. You know, that's not something that everybody can do. Obviously Vasilevsky is elite, but that's the kind of thing that he needs to develop. He needs to be able to surprise shooters a little bit so that they can't surprise him. Yeah. I mean, he's what the number two or number three goalie for the U S national development team right now. Yeah. Like number two or three. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a guy basically goes in between. Right. And, and if you, you know, since we all probably followed Spencer Knight when he was with the U S NDTP or whatever the acronym is, he was getting 90% of the start. So you were getting a guy who was starting when the number one was either injured or you're playing, you know, Sisters of the Poor State University. You take swings. Uh, TJ stole my analysis. You need to draft a goalie in every single draft because you never know where the next Devin Levi is, and you need to always be swinging, especially late in drafts. Like, good job. You took, you found a goalie. You took him. Most likely, we never see him again. But if we get something out of him, or you know, he has a great year, and he's going to where was Massachusetts? I think it was. I don't remember. I got to look this up. Okay, yeah, he's going to some solid hockey pro college hockey team as a freshman. So hopefully he has a good year like uh, Devin Levi did. And we go from there. I think he's going to New Hampshire. New Hampshire, close to Northeast. There, the, he's going to be playing against good shooters. Yeah. So that's that's a nice thing to see uh, in the hockey East. He'll be going up a guy against guys at BC that they had a number of first round picks, I believe. You know, it's not Michigan, but like. BCBU, these are good programs. He's going to be playing against programs like that. And UMass, I think, like you mentioned. I think they're in the hockey East as well. Could be totally wrong. Anyway, uh, interestingly enough, the Panthers traded into the seventh round. They were already there, but they traded into the seventh round to draft twice. And with the first pick, they took Liam Arnsby at 214, the Penguins pick. They gave away their seventh round pick next year, which – Pretty low cost to pay, honestly. They probably moved up in terms of pick position because the Penguins, you know, did not make it past the sec or the first round. And the Panthers did make it past the first round this year. They, you know, you, you have to hope that they're going to do it again next year. It's not, it's not the worst bet to take. 
anyway, uh, Liam Arnsby is the pick, 5'11", 183-pound forward, plays for North Bay Battalion in the OHL. He was their captain, which I think is is very interesting. If that's what they're reaching for here, that would be kind of curious. But, you know, you, it's really rare that you see guys that are 18 be the captain of an OHL team, even though, you know, the oldest guys on the teams are usually 20. But uh, he had nine goals, 17 assists last season in 46 games. He's a guy that you, you could also say this about a, a few of the other guys that they took, known as a hard worker. You could say that about Davies. You could say that about Jansen to an extent. High motor is the saying in the industry. And I think that that's what they were targeting a little bit in this draft. And I, I can't say I dislike that because the, the hardworking guys are the ones that will work on their flaws the hardest. And those are the guys that have the best chance to become players at the next level. If they, if they, you know, we, we always hear about the elite players in the game. They go into the rank every summer and they work like 10 hours a day on whatever it is that they want to improve upon that summer. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got Sidney Crosby's got the slap shot or the wrist shot or John Tavares goes from being a bad defensive player to a good one in one off season. Or keep it at home, Barkov. He developed a one-timer over the last two years working with um, Patrick Laine. Yeah, absolutely. And the the best players in the world do this, so it's 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 good to see that they're targeting players with at least a similar mentality. And they're not going to be the best players. Like, this will never be Barkov, for example, Liam Armsby. But at least, like, maybe he's Mason Marchment. And that's kind of what you're hoping for when you draft a forward in the fifth to seventh rounds. You know, maybe one day you get a Pavel Datsuk, but that's not going to happen all the time. You might get an Andre Pollat. Like, that's a little bit more common. Or Patrick Hornquist. Yeah. That's another I, I, saw some, I saw somewhere on Twitter that this guy was described as the guy who's going to be the alternate captain of your AHL team throughout his 20s. That's going to be your, like, second or third call-up when injuries happen. You'll play in your bottom six and won't make mistakes. Okay, so we drafted Zach Dalpy. Like, I, whatever, yeah. you know, that's fine. Zach Dalpy was an NHL player. Yeah, again, it's the seventh round. Like, I don't, I don't think I don't see anything else we need to say. It was the seventh round. All right. Well, I it was is slow the on the draw, but I had a joke. And I know you want players working on things in off seasons. I know, I know we want to temper our expectations for seventh-round picks, but honestly, their last pick that they made in this draft is my favorite player they drafted. Jack Devine from the University of Denver, a national champion. <gasps> He's from Glencoe. He's your favorite too now. I'm from Glencoe. I was 10 when he was born, but I'm from the same town. I, I lived in Glencoe when he was born in Glencoe. See, you you basically rub shoulders with this guy. Yeah, he's my best friend. He, so, he drove past the hospital he was being born. There was I don't think there was a hospital in Glencoe. He was probably born in uh, somewhere. I, I never had to go to the hospital when I lived in Chicago, so I actually don't know where the hospital, where the closest hospital was. Anyway, huh. uh, Jack Devine, 5'11", 172 pounds, right-handed shot, mostly playing as a winger in Denver, I believe. And, and, you know, this is a classic case of a guy that is buried in the lineup when he's draft eligible because, I mean, Denver won the national championship. So, like, there's going to be additional opportunities when guys like, you know, Matt Benning, Bobby Brink make it to the next level. And he's going to get an elevated opportunity 
and is another guy that's known as a hard worker. Uh, his, his, uh, skating is something that scouts were really nervous about, but still like the, the hard work that he has, the, the high end passing ability and the hardworking ability that he has, I was going to say, um, people, people believe that he's another guy that can work to get himself to the next level. And I mean, he did well in the NCAA this year. I mean, for buried in the lineup, he had 16 assists in 36 games, only three goals, but like, you know, that that's solid. He's got a good passing ability, all his micro stats, especially the defensive ones are very solid. I mean, this is a guy that was reliable in the bottom six for a championship team. College is like, you know, it's not the NHL, but like that's a much better level than the OHL. That's a much better level than the QJMHL. It's a much better level than the WHL. NCAA, that's a top, tough league to play in, and he had relative success. And he was ranked 114 in the top 121 by elite prospects. And I think that nowadays everybody used to say, like, you know, you have to draft good skaters because you can't improve your skating ability. That's like you're you're born with what you have. But I don't think that's true anymore. We've seen guys improve their skating all the time. Like Our Carter Hagee was somebody that people said, oh, he's too bad of a skater to ever play in the NHL. He's the top half of the lineup skater for the Panthers now. He's a good skater. Barkov, he was he was a mediocre skater at best his rookie year, and now he's mm-hmm. a very good skater. And um, I think Mason, this is another guy. He's going to become a good skater, I think. Mason Marchman, I mean, he's still not a great skater, but he went from guy you can an ECHL quality skater to you know a fourth line NHL or quality skater. But with his you know first line NHL brain, like you have a good hockey player. Yep. And we should talk about uh, not the best skater wasn't the best skater, but through his leg injuries, he was shown time and time again, working on his, his lateral movement and his skating ability. Yeah, absolutely. So with uh, divine here, you, you look at the GPS and there are some exciting names on here. Brian rush, Brian rust, Connor Sheary, Teddy Bluger. You know, there's some other guys that were, Minor NHL. Why are like all Riley of them Shannon. Penguins? I don't know. Maybe Penguins. <laughs> the Penguins were. Why did the Penguins draft this guy? Role Why players did they draft him? He's so kept their runs going. That's yeah, uh, Drake Kajula and Riley Shan were other guys that were drafted in in the same kind of neighborhood. But I, I mean, in terms of age and era adjusted points per game, he's got better stats than all of them. Hmm. And he was younger than Brian Rust. So, I mean, I'm not saying this is next Brian Rust, but I am saying this is the next Brian Rust. Panthers drafted the next Brian Rust. And he's from Glencoe. This, I think this is the best player the Panthers drafted. <laughs> the last one? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I really do. I think he had the highest rating, like, like, like pro hockey, whatever. One of, the, one of the very analytically driven. The PCS, the podcaster's cool sword. Sure. Um, yeah, I was very proud of that joke before we started recording. Uh, overall thoughts on the draft strategy, guys? Uh, love it. A plus. They drafted a kid from Glencoe. Okay, well, I'm going to give an actual serious answer, and I did not like it. I tweeted it out. I really wish they would have spent this draft making as many moves as possible to acquire more assets in future drafts because the reality is you have a two- to three-year win- window right now and you're clearly in a cap crunch where you like they didn't get rid of Patrick Hornquist this weekend. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but like 
the number one priority of this offseason season was to unload Patrick Hornquist. And it's clear they don't have the assets to do it because the prices to unload money right now were not high. We saw two-year contracts get traded for not much. Yeah, so the, second the and pay- third round pick. Right. Or, or just moving down 13 spots in the draft for the Leafs' sake. Right. So, in my opinion, the, instead of taking all of these flyers on hardworking guys, and, you know, maybe they hit on one or two of them get, and, and hit that 100-game benchmark, but I would have loved to have seen, like, that third-round trick pick traded for a third-round pick next year, that fourth-round pick traded for, you know, a sixth-round pick and a fourth-round pick next year. So that way, when, you know, as the season's moving along or even in the next couple of months, as teams have moved away from this year's draft and it's like, all right, what are we going to do next year? Like, Arizona's already stockpiling picks for next year. You can go to them and say, hey, I don't have a second-round pick for you, but I got two-thirds and a fourth for you to take Patrick Hornquist you can go to them and, and, and make those time moves now. And the, the funny thing is they actually do have their second round pick next year. So maybe that's okay. all it takes, but you maybe, know. but I would have really like, they, they should have just punted on this draft. They should have just punted on this draft. And then this is not me saying like, Oh, fire Zito. This is just me saying, look, you clearly just went all in and it didn't work because you didn't make it to the cup. You didn't even make it to the conference finals and you blew a lot of draft capital. At some point, you have to try and get some new draft capital so you have some flexibility to make moves again because you you just went through the draft and didn't trade Patrick Hornquist. Yeah, and we'll talk about that specifically later. I'm going to say I disagree for the main reason that they have this scouting staff that they're not like making cuts to because they don't have picks. So I think that when you have that lower pick volume – you can utilize the scouting staff's like uh, ability to, you know, dedicate their their scouting resources a little bit better because the teams that are drafting the first round maybe multiple times and drafting the second round maybe multiple times, they're thinking about those picks first and foremost, and the the picks later in the draft are almost an afterthought. Whereas, like, you have to assume that these are the the main targets that they wanted, and I mean. I didn't really like the way that they went the third, fourth rounds, but I think, I, you know, sixth and seventh round, they got good value for those rounds. It's <laughs> funny you actually say it that way, because as you were talking about the dedication of resources, I was literally thinking that it's funny because you seemed to be more, you seemed to be happier about the picks the later we got. Yeah, which might just be the expectations dwindling, True. but I still think that, Jack Devine was the best player they drafted. And look, I'm that's me saying it. I'm not raising my intellect above anybody in the Panthers scouting staff. I wonder if he's Jewish. Especially not Bill Zito. But like, that's the player that I like the most. And it seems like based on the GPS and everything like that, he has the highest potential to be a, you know, a real impact player at the next level. Not like top six, top four starting goalie necessarily, but like, you need good bottom sixers to win a championship. I mean, like like I said, Andre Pilat has been a bottom sixer for the for the Lightning for a number of years. And yeah, but Pilat would be top six on most teams, but I don't want to get into that. Yeah, but but but, he, but here's the thing, and, and this is going to my point. Name anyone in the, that they drafted today that's going to help during this two to three year cup run. I mean, the, the hope is that one of them pops in the NCAA or the OHL or whatever league they're in, right? And then they're your you know, uh, Eric Brandstrom to get somebody at the trade deadline. Or right. I, 
the other idea is that one of these guys or a couple of these guys can help extend the window by providing that value on an ELC in the lineup. Yeah. But even then they're still two to three years away. And yes, you need to be thinking about two to three years away, but they need to win a cup. Like their cup window is right now. And if three years from now we have Jack divine as a middle sixer on an ELC around Barkov who will still be here. And I imagine many other players will still be here. And and here's the, here's the thing that makes me think maybe this isn't their window. They have Spencer Knight and he's got a real Mm. chance of being the next Andre Vasilevsky, Carey Price, elite goalie. I mean, look at what Jake Ottinger did in the playoffs and he wasn't even on the same level as Spencer Knight in the NTDP. Like Jake Ottinger was like, all right, this is our top goalie. He's a nice goalie. We're going to take him to the world juniors. He's going to be the backup there. Spencer Knight was like, this is the best American goalie ever. <laughs> like Possibly a highest rated American goalie at this level of his development ever of all Gibson. time. Well, since Gibson, Gibson was that good too. Fair um, enough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Gibson true. had some amazing years. And a couple of years ago, I said that Gibson was one of the best goalies of the 2010s decade. So right. if Spencer but, Knight becomes one of the best goalies of the 2020s decade, then maybe TJ's onto something. Maybe our window hasn't quite opened yet. And we're all just thinking a little too hard. I think that you're right to say that like they shouldn't operate under the assumption that Spencer Knight is the guy that's going to keep their window open forever, which is why they should make moves to get a Claude Giroux type of guy. You know, the Ben Sherratt move, obviously we didn't agree with, but like I'm fine with them taking the swings like that because their window is more open now and you just never know what it's going to look like in a few years. Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily say that like they're screwed if they don't win a championship next year, you know? No, they're not screwed, but you know, I'm going to use your example. What's more important to keeping the window open? Zach is it Zach Devine? Ja- uh, Jack. Jack Devine. Jack Devine. Zach no, Levine is a basketball player. Well, I said Devine. Levine. I know you did. Yeah. But what's more important? Zach Devine on a middle six or more likely bottom six role two to three years from now or moving Hornquist so you can bring in, you can keep Claude Giroux for two to three more seasons. ¿Por qué no los dos? I know they didn't, but ¿por qué? Yeah, and we, and still we don't know they don't have because the like, oh. They don't have the trade assets. I mean, maybe, maybe there is a deal in the works for a, that second round pick next year already, but like... Maybe a team actually wants Hornquist then why haven't they been able to move him yet? Maybe the Panthers want Hornquist. That's the thing we don't... Weird! I wonder which one of us said that to the other two of them. <laughs> I, I, still... I wonder. I wonder. All right, let, let's let's talk about this now. So so the Panthers have not traded Hornquist yet. And like Alex said, we saw guys move. We saw Petr Morazic move. We saw Zach Cassian move. These were clearly contract dumps because the teams had to give up some draft capital to do it. But Hornquist is still in Florida. And because Zito wants to operate under this like Lamarillo like shroud of secrecy, we have no real idea if they're like calling every team in the league and gauging what it would take to move Hornquist. He does have that eight team no trade list, which may have teams like Arizona, Buffalo, Seattle. It's gonna be all the it's gonna be all the Canadian teams and then some bottom feeders and uh we don't know if they're like this guy is too important to our locker room to move like we just don't know i would assume they're not 
operating under that assumption because I, I think, think that... they are operating exactly under that idea. And that's stupid. It is stupid. Unfortunately, I don't disagree, but that doesn't make it untrue. All right, I have to. I have to agree. That's just like that's really dumb. I mean, the we'll talk about the Duclair thing in a minute, but like that does potentially get you a get out of jail free card. But like, if if Duclair's not going to be on LTIR, which again he will be, then you can't even keep any of Sherat, Marchman, and Giroux, which we have a, a feeling that they want to keep as many of them as we can as they can but like you you have to make some room you have to make some room for Giroux like you cannot keep Hornquist and Giroux unless you're going to trade Huberto or Barkov or something stupid like that Sam Bennett I mean Sam Bennett with Huberto interesting I don't want to get they're not they're they're not going to do that no the only way you trade Jonathan Huberto this season is if you totally bottom out yeah, I would trade him for like Spechnikov or something, but again, like they're not doing that. You There's know, somebody zero. that's almost as good and is like five years younger. Yeah, yeah, they're not trading Hudo. They're talking contract with him. Yeah, it's like let, let's not even waste time on it. That but, that reminds me of what we should talk about next. But uh, let's finish talking about Hornquist. I think they want to keep him. I um, uh, that's just my my two cents. I personally would love to not do that. Even when they first traded for him, my, my thought was, great, he'll give us one, maybe two decent years, but we should not keep him the third year. I, I mean, a buyout is still on the table. I think that, I think, I think they should have traded him last offseason. Like I agree. They sh- but they, I, they should I have done everything that him. they could to get rid of Yandel without buying him out. And we're looking at – look, he had the no-movement clause. We all know that it would have been difficult – Maybe he wasn't even willing to waive for the expansion draft, which like I I have such a hard time believing that, but like it's out there, it's possible. And it's this is gonna be like the thing that is my pet peeve for years and years. It's just it's my pet peeve. I understand people don't feel the same way, whatever. It's done. They bought out Yandel. I didn't like it, but that dead cap money is on the books for this year. Hornquist is still here, yada yada yada. They're, they're living in that reality. But like, you know, buying him out as an option, like you said, and we might see that happen in the next couple of days. Uh, I think that's hope, where this goes. Hopefully they can move him. Maybe they want to keep him because he's their culture warrior, whatever. I think that's it. By the way, if you buy out Hornquist this summer, the cap hit is about a million and a half this year and next, which yeah, I think is way like more manageable 7. than the 5.3 million just this year. Oh, it's 5.3. I thought it was 5.1. Yeah, so that that means, wow. You save about gonna... three, three, three and a half million. Am I doing my math right there? Yeah, uh, it, it becomes three yeah. and a half million over two years, but then you don't get Hornquist. But like right, but time, you don't really care that much next year. It's this year that's the problem. Yes. Because I mean, next year, year will be an issue too, but like you... Yeah, have... but this year is where Yandel counts for five million against your cap. Yeah. This is the year that you really need the cap savings. Huberto's going to go up, but he's not going to go up $5.3 million. So, a, a Hornquist buyout, if you really can't find a dance partner, you you I think you it. buy him out. You have to do it. That you saves you, I get it, nearly, that saves you $3.5 million you, this year at the cost of a million and a half next year. A team again, that I think should like, be interested in him is Detroit because he can come in there and he can talk to uh, Lucas Raymond. He can talk to some of the other forwards they have that are young. You know, Philip Zadina hasn't really become the guy that they hoped he would become. 
F in the chat for Joe Valeno. Yeah. I mean, he's fine, honestly, but like. I thought he was going to be so much better. Yeah. Can we can we talk about uh, Detroit for a second trading for another goalie? That was weird. It was not weird because Alex Nedeljkovic isn't that good. He's not, and, but they have Sebastian Kosa. Yeah, but he's a few years away, it seems like. I mean, right, so are but they what do the Red Wings team? hope to accomplish? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think Eiserman's trying to do that thing where, you know, you start like, instead of going from bottom out, bottom out, bottom out to playoff contender, he's trying to ease his way out of it, start, you know, building the, the locker room in terms of, hey, this is no longer a, an organization. Mm. Building the locker room, you say. Patrick you know who might be a really valuable asset? Patrick Hornquist. Yes, I agree. I'm and they have the cap space. They have. Also, a Vancouver. Ton of cap space. I think Vancouver might be interested in him for like a few reasons. But they have to move JT Miller before that could even become possible. Hey, what an interesting idea! I'm, I'm just saying. Hornquist for JT Miller, one for one. Who says no? Hey, they got to throw in a fifth round pick. More culture from Hornquist. True. But I, I just want to take my victory lap. Everyone was like, "Oh, what is Carolina doing?" Nedeljkovic was so good for them last year. I'm like, "Yeah, he was an out of nowhere goalie who had an amazing year." And they traded him in instead of paying him money. And guess who was right? Carolina Hurricanes. And I, I, I wouldn't say that they were emphatically right because, like, they're still getting pretty decent value for what he's getting paid. Like, he's not fucking Hashik or anything, but, like, he's fine. And they're not paying him very much. Rinakovich had uh, 12.1 goals above replacement and 2.1 wins above replacement last year, Alex. So I wouldn't be so uh, so confident in your high horse. He was still it quite worked out. Good for them. It, it definitely worked team. out for them in terms of what they ended up doing in the crease because Freddie Anderson had a phenomenal year. They bought low on him and they had the opportunity to do so because they traded away Nadelkovich. I still think that like it was weird that that was the best that they could do at the time, but like they they put themselves in the best position to win this year and next. And interesting. What can you really say about that other than well, like, there, you there's. Know, Carolina's system is so strong. You do not need a you do not need a high end goalie, and that's the same thing Avalanche are doing. Like they weren't going to pay Darcy Kemper to be slightly above average. Yeah, for but them. then they like, fucking went out and got Georgiev, who right. is an. Do you upgrade. like Georgiev, Alex? <laughs> eh, he's fine. But he's, that's no, okay. He's not Shesterkin, fine. but he's still good. Yeah, like that. But that, but I'm calling him fine. Like he's a middle of the pack NHL goalie. But that's all they need. They don't need to be spending more than a few million AAV on their goalie. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Let's uh, let's move on to what I was kind of alluding to earlier. So I don't know how much we should really talk about that because I don't get the sense it's very real. But uh, what's the name of the senator's reporter? Bruce, Bruce Garriott, I think his name is. Yeah, Garriott, Garriott. Oh, the, the senators are kicking tires on Mackenzie Weaker. He's from Ottawa. They're apparently looking for a, a defender that can play on the right side. So that kind of makes sense. But then like, it doesn't make sense that the Panthers would be looking to move him. And I, I really didn't get the sense. Like I listened to the most recent DFO rundown, which I think everybody should just go ahead and subscribe to it. So you don't have to hear me talk about what they said on it all the time. It's Frank Cervelli and uh, Jason Greger, who covers the Oilers. And that's a daily faceoff. And he said, I, I really don't get the sense that the Panthers are looking to trade Weger. I actually think they're looking to extend him, which we had this conversation. Uh, we're, we're not so sure that they should be looking to extend it, but I think we all agree that like they should not be looking to trade him now. Yeah. No. And I just don't, I don't, don't think it's going to happen. Is essentially your own rental this season. Yeah. Does anybody disagree that it like, it's not going to happen or at least like 
it's a very low chance of happening? There is one scenario and one scenario only where it makes sense to trade Uyghur. And it's if you do exactly what the Canadians did, which is you trade Uyghur for assets and then immediately use those assets to flip for Jacob Chikrin. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that you're going to get the asset volume that you need. Like they would have to be like getting two quarters and then adding the other two quarters that they have for a dollar that adds up to Jacob Chikrin. And like we said, they just don't have the assets. Like that, That's fine. I'm just saying that's the only situation where it makes sense for the Panthers to trade Uyghur, where it's, you're, I mean, I think Uyghur is better than Chikrin. You're slightly downgrading from Uyghur to Chikrin, but you're getting yeah, cost control. You're definitely downgrading. I think Uyghur's better. So that's the only situation I think it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't have to be Jacob Chikrin, but where you're slightly downgrading your defenseman, but you're getting desperately needed yearly cost control. Yeah, I mean, we agree that they're in a position that they're they're desperately trying to win the Stanley Cup. They don't want to do anything that they think might diminish their chances to do it, even if they improve three, four years down the line. I think this would definitely fall in the category of they would diminish their chances to do it when you're talking about a guy that has been on Norris ballots for two consecutive seasons and is making less than $4 million against the cap. It just wouldn't make sense yeah, unless the they get some kind of ridiculous last year that he'll make less than $4 million. Right. So that's why the extension is a different con- conversation. I, and I just think worrying about that extension now, when you still have the player for another season at that absurdly low cap hit, you're just missing the forest for the trees. You really are. I think that that's, I think that's what's going yeah. on. And everybody agrees with me, apparently. So let's move on. Do we on. think that the fan base rage against Uyghur has subsided? I feel like it has. I don't think it ever will to an extent, but like, whatever. You know, th- there are p- some people that are always going to have their pet peeves, like me and the Yandel buyout. Like, we could win a cup and I'd still be like, man, they shouldn't have bought out we- uh, Yandel because he's still <laughs> he's still had that dead money on the cap. Like, I would still... We could have won the cup better. <laughs> We could have done it better. Absolutely. Let's talk about the uh, Duclair thing, because I think it's it's kind of interesting, the implication of this. So torn Achilles in offseason training, the only benefit to this is that it happened very early in the offseason and that it does potentially give them some LTIR relief for the first half of the season. But, you know, it really sucks to see him have a 31 goal season and then all of a sudden you're not going to have him to start the year. And yeah. I mean, this is going to be a big transition with them going to a new coach and you know, the the success that they previously experienced is not a guarantee. Now we don't think they're going to fall off the face of the top of the standings, but at the same time, like, you know, they're going to have to adjust to life without Duclair for the beginning of the year. And they won the president's trophy last year. So the playoffs are the top priority. He should be back for those given that uh, he had a successful surgery. I believe it was reported he had a successful surgery. It's always yeah. successful yeah. surgery. They never say it was unsuccessful. We find out it was unsuccessful when the guy is back on time. Yeah, fair enough. A- a- any quick thoughts on this? There's no, the only spin that this is a good thing is the LTIR relief. But the reality is you just lost 30 plus goals for $3 million, which is an incredible value. This sucks. But unfortunately, these are the things that happen. And yeah, I mean, I know Duclair was getting scratched in the playoffs, but oh, I mean, I think that was, again, Burnett just trying to find something that would work, and Duclair was the guy that they decided to scratch. They may need to find a way to turn this into a positive and find a way to bring back Claude Giroux because it's going to be devastating when he goes to another team. The problem is that it doesn't seem like Duclair is going to be out all season. 
but so you, yeah, you can't, you can't pull that a LTIR off. relief. It's all getting broken down. Uh, what's what's the word when something like it, it is broken down based on like the parts? It's like uh, what's it called? Itemized? No. Like uh, if you you know start paying rent at the middle of the month, and so well, you only charged half of the month. What is that called? Uh, yeah, yeah. Prorated? prorated. Prorated. That's it. That's absolutely what I was looking for. Well, so the remember, prorated LTIR means that they actually are going to get an additional amount of cap space for however long he's out. And remember, they can always just go out and get some player on LTIR to replace Duclair's three million cap space when he's getting ready to come back. Uh, I'm not sure that's how it works. Like, absolutely, it's how it works. You you don't just get additional cap space when you have additional LTIR guys. I mean, if you can fit it, yeah, you just go get someone up, put them on LTIR, and you can get more cap space as long as you can but fit it in. Duclair still counts for his cap hit when he comes back, either way. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think you understand. Oh this, yeah, right? you're right. You're right. It's early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're recording this Sunday morning for those of you uh, who are not with us, which is all of you. So, yeah. how could you know? Real quick, in the pre-draft Elliot Friedman column. He said that the Panthers are shooting down any reports that they were looking to trade Bobrovsky. Does anybody want to say anything about this? Because it, it doesn't seem like a Bobrovsky trade is imminent. I almost feel like that's covering their own asses because no one wants to buy on Bobrovsky. That's Which is it. sad. Like, because it's not going to get better in terms of the Bobrovsky market. I wonder it's- what a Bobrovsky buyout looks like. <laughs> it, get, it gets better like next year once the start. The uh, oh, God. It never is good, don't, though. Don't buy out Bobrovsky ever please his signing bonus is like half of his contract so instead of getting like the one-third relief you only get one-fourth relief which uh that's a big deal when you're talking about as much money as he makes but you know i i think we do got to set the table for uh him yeah there's moved on literally no time during bobrovsky's contract in which it makes sense to buy him out yeah i think unfortunately it would in the in the latter stages this is going to still be counts for six and a half million dollars against the cap at the latest possible date. I I think it's next year where his no movement clause, next offseason where his no movement clause becomes a partial like a sixteen team. It's either next or the, or the year after, and his real money goes way down. So that's that's when you're going to have to find a way. To, you're going to have to find a way to trade him to a team trying to reach the cap floor and doesn't want to spend a lot of real money. It's uh, 24-25, by the way, where the modified no trade kicks in. But he still has a no, a full no move as well through the whole contract. He, the no move doesn't get replaced by the modified no trade. It, it, it does in terms of the trade protection. Yeah, the, the no, no move, move means just means that – Exactly. Which means that you can't be like, we'll waive you and someone will claim you, so you're going to go away because you can say no. Yeah. Um, no move, which is what the lightning did to McDonough. Yeah, I thought because full no move was trade, also no. full no trade. I thought it meant both. No, this whole time, and then a no trade just meant that you could be waived. Well, maybe you couldn't full, be traded. Maybe your a consent. full no move clause includes a no trade clause, but you can modify the no move clause with a a partial no trade clause. All right, <laughs> let's move on. Two year extension for E two Lusterinen. $1.5 million dollars average annual Fine. value. Fine. I know we always say don't give term to depth players, but that's not two term. years is not two term. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything more than one year is term to I, me. I, I, I um, disagree that two years is term for a depth okay. player, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's fine. I think the average I, I annual value is like 
again, one point five million dollars. Look, that's that's not a lot of money. But at the same time, it's, like it's I'm, just it's just replacing Achari's money. That's all it is. Fair enough. Yeah. But like I, I I'm not sold on E2. He's like, fine in his role. He, he's fine he does role, well sure. enough at what he does, and it's not an impactful enough role to move the needle one way or the other. Yeah, I, I think his uh, you know true cost value according to the athletic last year was like three point something in terms of what he was bringing on the table. So even at one point five, you're still getting value. So yeah, all right. Sure. As long as you keep playing with Ryan Lomberg, you're going to see results. So. Yeah, there you go. Shout out I to mean, Lombie back at a. Uh... Because that extension we, that he signed. So I think we, we all wish it would have that. been a little cheaper just to save us some cap space because right now every dollar counts, but 1.5 is fair. Yeah, I'm not going to lose my mind over what he signed for versus like what I think I would have uh, a million five right. feels about right for him to honor. All right. To me, a couple yeah. more two way extensions. Hepo! Miami comes back. Hepo, uh, this, is, this is put up or shut up time. Absolutely. This is his last chance to prove himself. Yeah. Yeah, he he's got to show he, up now. He was drafted or he's going five to go back ago. to Finland. Like it's it's time. Yeah, and we were very high on him for a while, also. Yeah, because he had like because 150 points in the, in the WHL, and then Bronman he was also very was good high in Finland. Bronman was very high on Hepaniemi for a while. Like he featured him in that the gifted series. Like, and his his playmaking is still like very high end, but like, yeah. but got around out that he game. Still has not yet gotten used to North American professional hockey. Yeah. Much better in the AHL this past season, but still like yeah. not at the level where you're like, oh, this is an NHL guy. Like, why is right. he here? Right. This is, I mean, I'll I'll give some interesting context here in that uh, there is someone who spent two years kind of toiling in the AHL only to come in and light up the NHL five years down the line. Do we all know who that is? M.M.? No, not quite. Better. Brad Marchand. Okay. Ooh. Sure. Two years in the AHL. What was about, good. Uh, what about Carter? Wrong, then spent like five or six years kind of just being a decent NHLer and then just all of a sudden popped off and became a point of game player regularly. One of the weirdest careers. Yeah. So, like, there's still precedent that Hepaniemi could become a, an impact NHLer given his skill set. Carter. Carter. Mm hmm. The card, um, but it's this is this is his last chance to really show the Panthers that he that he can become an impact NHLer. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Lucas Carlson, the other guy to get a two way deal, also uh, that's a one way deal, yeah. Or sorry, two way deal, eight hundred K at the. I NHL thought you said level. two way. I was just expanding expanding <laughs> on it. Right. Uh, I wasn't correcting you. <laughs> guaranteed four hundred thousand compensation. I mean. He was good last year. Like flat out, we should be happy he's coming back. Yes, and that he's not making more than basically the league minimum is is a great sign. Right. This is and, just uh, E2 and uh, and Carlson were both signed on uh, draft night and happened to me like the week before. But like, yeah, yep. This all happened since the last time we recorded. So uh, good. Um, so then the other things that we were looking at. The Huberto extension, we kind of talked about their 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 talking extension with Uyghur. They think we think that they're gonna try to hammer that out. Maybe they're just like trying to see if he's gonna take I something hope, stupid. Yeah, that's any anything about Huberto that you guys have heard? I think that they're just kind of talking to him. I I think Dwork says something like, Oh, they're gonna start talking to Alan Walsh. Uh, I think we can use the uh, Philip Forsberg extension as a bit of a uh, barometer for Huberto. 
I think I don't Tom see him has- making less than Forsberg, though. I could see right. it because he's older. But he's, but he's better. Also a better player. <laughs> okay. Yeah, probably. And this is, yeah, I mean, I guess it was Forsberg's first shot at UFA. Also, I, but... I wouldn't be excited to sign Huberto to eight times eight and a half. I, I'd actually be okay with that. I, I, I'm I'd expecting him I, to. I'm in the extreme minority, but. Look, you're, you're, you're in the situation where if you want to keep your best players, you have to sign them to contracts that hurt a few, you know, in the back end of it because you need to keep the AAV down. Yeah, in a, in, a, in a perfect world, if the Panthers had perfectly optimized cap space, I'd love to sign Huberto to a four-year, you know, $11 million yeah. deal. But I was going to say four by nine. <laughs> Either way, I'm just saying, like, I'd love to do a four-year deal where, you know, you're getting him off the roster and off the cap right when his play is about to, you know, steeply decline. But that's not how the world works. Like, you're going to have to give him extra years to get the AAV down. Yeah, I'm just hoping that, like, it doesn't happen in year four. Flat, flat, like let alone your seven and eight. But, I don't think it will, but we we we've talked. How about do we think like, Nikita Kucherov factors into Jonathan Huberto's contract extension? Kucherov is a much much better player, like right. so much, and better. making not a lot of money for how good he is. That's really kind of what I'm saying. The the difference is is that was a team that winning cups and do, like it's a lot easier to get them to take a discount for the squad when you've made it to the cup multiple times and been in the. You That's know, true second and third round multiple times like when was that signed though was it signed Kucherov signed signed in 2018 so they had been to the cup finals with him once yeah I guess that you could say that they were winning playoff series like every year yeah like they but they were they've been the best team in hockey since what like 2016 at this point I guess you know like it took them a while to get over the hump but like everyone knew like hey this is the best roster in the nhl they just need smart people were just saying hey they just need to you know keep it going and not make stupid decisions to blow it up and eventually they'll get over the hump and now they've been in the cup three straight years and they're still well positioned to make it for a fourth year Mm -hmm. so before we talk about his son i think that we really should acknowledge the very sad and unexpected i think in terms of him being such a young guy passing of, of Brian Marchman at, I think it was 53. Yeah. And I mean, he was a beloved guy in the NHL community. He was still working as a scout in San Jose. And I mean, you know, when you see that happen, I mean, maybe he had a, a long-term illness. No, we didn't know he, about, but like he, he died in Montreal, DJ. Just, like this came out of nowhere. Awful. The, what else can you say? I mean, he was a guy always known for playing with a lot of passion and love for the game. And I'm not going to say that I was, you know, watching the teams that he was on every night back in the day, but like, you know, I knew that I knew that he was a a guy that was, like I said, playing with heart, playing with passion. And it clearly rubbed off on his very talented and very passionate, like his dad, his son. And now, you know, not to make this all about what's happening with the son, but, we, we do kind of have to acknowledge this throws a wrench into what's going on with Mason. I, I don't think so. I think it just delays things. Yeah. I, I mean, but at the same time, like maybe this means that he wants to be closer to home. It could mean that we don't know that. I mean, do we even know that his mom, his mother lives in San Jose? I, I, don't, don't. I really don't want to talk we about don't. it this way. I'll say this. It's obviously horrible that 
you know, Mason Marchman lost his father out of nowhere. What it means for him signing, I'm not going to, I don't want to speculate on just because it could mean, it could mean he wants to stay where he's comfortable. It could mean he wants to be close to his mom. It could mean all sorts of different things. We're just guessing by speculating. And I'm not trying to like say you were wrong to bring it up, TJ. I'm just saying like, we really don't know. So to spend a bunch of time talking about it, I think we're just kind of spinning our wheels. What the only thing I think it means is obviously hockey and his contracts, the last thing on his mind right now. So maybe, you know, there seemed to be, you know, prior to his father passing away, there was positive news in terms of him wanting to stay with the Panthers. So maybe they already had like, there's a few I's and T's to dot and cross, but they've pretty much figured it out. And they're just going to put it on the back burner until obviously funeral services and the grieving process is done. And, Marchman's ready to focus on hockey again. That's yeah. all I think this means. I think that, you know, if there aren't updates on the subject, everybody should remember to, that he's going to want or need some space to yeah. process this. I mean, I haven't lost either of my parents, so I can't even imagine what that would be like. I yeah. like there, there's just no way for me to conceptualize that at all. And I mean, it, it, it's, it's just one of the most harrowing moments that you can have as a human being to, to realize that, you know, this, this, formative person in your life is you're never going to talk to them again never going to see them again so you know expecting somebody to just bounce right back from that is a lot to expect and you know this this may mean that we don't hear about it for a while yeah and but like so how can you blame him you no no taking to twitter to ask where the marchman extension is give like give that space and time yeah yeah honestly we will just be we'll be able to read between the lines on it if the, I Panthers think so. used, if the Panthers used the cap space that would have gone to Marchman somewhere else, you knew where it was leaning. And there, and again, Marchman's just taking his time and he'll pick his new destination. Or if, you know, we're two weeks into the off season and the Panthers are keeping two and a half, three million AAV in their back pocket, you know, that's probably what's going to Marchman. Like we don't mm-hmm. need to ask about it. We don't need to pester our sources about it. Like that's it. Just let it be. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it's going to be right around the three to three and a half million range, probably three years, possibly four. And I think that that's going to work out, you know, whenever he's ready to return to the Panthers or return to playing hockey, I think it's going to be a good deal. I think that, you know, like, like his dad, Mason's a guy that's intelligent, hardworking and knows his way around the ice and, it's going to be it's going to be good to have him back if we can but either way it's just going to be good to see him back on the ice and whenever he gets that first goal however he celebrates to commemorate uh Brian is going to be special yeah. um is there anything other else panther related we need to talk about i think we've kind of covered everything we haven't specifically mentioned Giroux, but like we've talked about it enough yeah i mean we just don't have really much to say again. about him <laughs> when when free agency opens up on wednesday uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm sure we'll have a, a podcast pretty soon after to discuss what happens and doesn't happen. I feel like this could be a year where people kind of stall. I mean, we, we talked about Marchment may do it. Giroux may do it. Uh, but, you know, if, if these guys want to get signed right away, the fact that the Panthers haven't moved on from Hornquist is not a good sign. But we don't know that. Like, But we can we can pretty confidently say they're not going to get Gaudreau, for example. They're not yeah. going to get Klingberg. They don't have the cap space to do it. Yeah. Um, do we want do, to talk Do about any of us him? want Klingberg? No, I don't want to. Uh, he, he's just saying the high-priced guys in free agency. Like, yeah. All right. What were you about to say, Alex? Do we want to talk about Chicago tearing it down for a few seconds? or 
I thought it was a it's I thought funny. it was a decent decision that they made to do all that. Like people people saying, oh, they didn't get enough for Debrink at. I don't necessarily disagree, but I they got the I don't get the people. Pick. I don't I don't understand why people are like, but he's a young asset. Like he's two years away from UFA. You're not winning. Thank you. Can 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 I make my argument now since everyone seems to have disagreed with my my comment that Otto made the Duchesne mistake all over again? Go ahead. Okay. I think I I agree with everyone who says um the Brincat's better than Duchesne. I agree. And TJ, you just said it. The Brincat's two years away from UFA. He's an RFA after this season and his qualifying offer is $9 million. So it's not like he has really given much money back if he takes another one-year $9 million deal next year to get himself to UFA. Ottawa is not a playoff team. Even if they bring in Giroux, they're still not a playoff team. You have two years to convince Alex Dabrinkat to stay in Ottawa. Ottawa. I think that they're they're betting on that it's going to be like a, a very positive situation in a couple of years, which it might be, but it also might not be. I mean, we're talking about Pierre Dorian right now. What What is the track record of sustained success there? There is none. Pierre Dorian, the same guy who got saved from himself this weekend right. when he tried to trade the seventh overall pick for Matt Murray. Well, to get rid of Matt Murray. To get rid of Matt Murray. He would have moved down. And he would have retained 25%. Yeah. Ugh, that would have been an awful trade. Like, I agree. He got saved from himself and then was able to swing it for Debrink, which was a good deal. But the key thing was he made that deal without a contract in hand because he can already agree to a, an extension with Debrink at starting next Wednesday. No, con- no contract conversations. He literally is betting entirely on being able to convince Debrink at to say. Wait, doesn't Debrink have two years left? No, one year. What? Really? He's got one year left and then he's got he's it's the exact same situation as Reinhardt. Well, actually, no, Reinhardt was already a UF, an RFA, an RFA. Yeah. But so Debrinket has one year left. He can sign an extension, but he's got one RFA year left, and his qualifying offer is nine million. So he can literally play this year, play next year under a nine million dollar RFA deal, and then go to UFA as a twenty-six year old, where he would get boatloads of cash mm-hmm. yep. and not have to play in Ottawa. Like, yeah, this was a massive. It's the NHL, though. Like people typically stay where they are, even if there's like no loyalty. Like he'll have been in Ottawa for one year. There's no like glitz and glamour because it's Ottawa. I, I think it's not even NHL, Toronto. I disagree. I think the NHL state. Look, Pierre Luc Dubois just told Winnipeg he's not staying. Um, we haven't seen anything from uh, Patrick Line wanting to stay in Columbus. Like these I guys think that are gets done. Though, These guys I, are going to their UFA, get into UFA now. I guess you like, could say that about Gaudreau. Please let me see Patrick Laine to Philadelphia. Gaudreau, yeah, Gaudreau, like Gaudreau's likely leaving Calgary. Like these guys are going to get their money and going to play where they want. Yeah. That loyalty thing is going away. It's That's more common. Thing, the think. loyalty is more common. I feel when you when we're talking about the play, the team that drafted you. Yeah, which like Debrinket, like you said, Alex Debrinket's going to play one year in Ottawa, become an RFA. Does he have arbitration rights? I don't think he does. Yeah, but... of course. When you're one year away from UFA, you definitely have arbitration rights. Yeah, but but so... his qualifying offer is nine million, so they cannot pay him less than nine million. Sure. Yeah. They can't even arbitration and offer him eight. His qualifying offer is nine million dollars. 
He yeah. is so set so, up like, to play two years. He's, he's just out. gonna. And for what it's worth, I personally, like, I feel like Ottawa, if Dorian isn't Dorian, is closer than some people might think. They've got some good pieces in there. I still they, don't know like where that star forward is that you like need to. Well, I mean Brady. Out. I don't. I don't think of him that way. And now they have Debrinkat. I don't think of Debrinkat <laughs> that way. Okay. And he, they have Drake Batherson. I like Batherson. I'm a big fan. He's of He's underrated. Yeah, but, but I still don't think he's not. And they have Alex Formanton, who is, he is basically Kuchera? just a poor man's Drake Batherson. Is he Nathan McKinnon? Is he even Ryan O'Reilly? No, but how, there, I don't think there he's are not. thirty of those to go around. Look, it's, well, you need I, those guys to win. I, I that's think what Ottawa I think. has a good young core. Here's the here's the problem. They play in the Atlantic Division, that's where four issue, of them, yeah. eight teams in the NHL reside. Like they're not going to be like the, the cup odds for Boston this coming anymore. season. Three of the top four teams are the Atlantic Division. Yeah, three of the top five teams in the league are probably in the Atlantic. Yeah. I, I think the betting odds favorites for the Stanley Cup for next year was Colorado, Tampa, Toronto, and Florida. Yeah. So good luck passing them. Good luck convincing to bring Cat to want to stick around in this division where for the foreseeable future, you got to catch one of those three teams. So stay tuned for the July 1st, 2023 episode of Panther Paris, where we talk about letting Huberto walk so we can uh, sign so Alex can, to bring Cat. So we can get Alex to bring Cat. Well, no, what, what's going to happen is the exact same thing that happened with Duchesne, where either this deadline or, ne- or next deadline, they're trading to bring cat for less than they, they paid for him because they fucked up again. Like yeah. that's why I think they made the mistake. It's not that the bring cat isn't a good player. It's they're not going to be able to get him to stay. Actually. Yeah. To bring cat this coming season as a deadline rental with RFA rights. That that's not happening. He's staying at least that's another right. year, but, and I still, just because it's the NHL, if this was the NBA. I'd completely agree, but like guys are still feel some sort of, internal and external pressure to not leave unless things are just totally awful and speaking of i restarted my uh my 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 career player on uh-huh. 2k and i've decided to instead of being a team player just be a selfish asshole uh, well, yeah, and i'm, I'm to going to demand a trade from the pistons i slightly altered my build well you're in detroit um, come on well look my 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 versatile paint beast build was just named captain of the pistons which is cool because I don't think the NBA actually formally recognizes captains. No, there's no C on the chest. But like, <laughs> like Giannis Hasman is the captain. But my GM was like, hey, we want you to be the next captain, which was cool. But now I have a two-way facilitator. Same bill, just like gave myself better three-point shooting in exchange for mid-range because I figured like if I'm close enough for a mid-range shot, I'm just taking it down low anyway. So fuck it. And on that, I'm going to demand a trade from the Pistons after I get drafted first overall. <laughs> Another F in the chat for Detroit. I mean, they, they've been through so much. And I'm, I'm just talking about in sports these last few years. With the Red Wings being bad, with the Tigers being bad, with the Lions being bad, and the Pistons losing. Uh, losing. Speaking of the Lions, that commercial, the AT&T commercial with Matt Stafford. Yes, really good. It really took me good. a few watches to get it. <laughs> like, I so liked good. it anyway. Like I, I, I got like the end of the joke where he was like, great trade. And then I kind of worked backwards from there and understood that the whole 12 years thing was literally like, it was literally about the Lions. <laughs> yeah, great commercial. 
fantastic commercial. Well, since we talked about, do we want to talk about the uh, dock trade and the, um, and then I guess talk about the Habs for a second? Montreal had a good weekend, man. I, I, I'm very, I'm pretty impressed with, uh, with Kent with Hughes. What they did. Yeah, thank you. Jack Hughes' dad, not that I, Jack Hughes, I, I personally, Jack he, Alex didn't like the Slavkovsky pick. I, I personally didn't think that I think it, Shane it's, Wright it's, was going to be a number one center. So. I, it's This year reminded me a lot of Patrick and Heischer, where like yes. one of them was pretty consistently the number one overall pick until the very end, and then the other one jumped them at the draft. Which I'm like surprised that Shane Nolan Patrick fourth. obviously stinks. So right. like, and I was I've been a Heisher fan. Like I I always thought Heisher should go first in that draft. I'm surprised that Shane Wright drops a fourth, but I don't mind the 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 Slavkovsky pick in general. I think I, I mean I, he like whenever he was playing against the best of the best, at least in terms of what he could possibly be playing against, that was when he was playing his best. Yeah, is, is it because his Liga stats aren't good? Yeah, but the league of stats are when he wasn't playing against that top competition. And I do agree with you that like he did not have a first overall caliber league of season, and that's something to be concerned about. But at the same time, he had eight goals in the Olympics, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but that wasn't really the best on best. That was everyone's better there. than Liga. Is it that much better than Liga? It's I think so. Their... What do you mean? He was playing against guys from Liga and the KHL and the well, KHL is a lot better than Liga. All right. Look, I'm not saying it's it's a certain bust, but I'm forever scarred by Rostislav Olesh, who was, you know, touted as baby Yager, but all of his stats against men, I mean, were pedestrian at best. So that's where I'm kind of like, uh, why are we, you know, gung-ho to do this all over again? But, you know, he did, you're right. He did have a good Olympics. He did have a good World Cup. There, there are some things there that are positive. I didn't like the doc trade. I thought that Chicago ran away with a first round pick for a guy I don't ever really think is going to be worth it. Okay, that's fair. I, I think Doc is decent. He was just in kind of a rough situation in Chicago. I think it's not a terrible bet. It's it's not. Like they didn't have to give up that much. I like I'm not saying that Montreal is gonna flip from Stanley Cup to la- to Stanley Cup finalists to last in the league back to the Stanley Cup. Like I don't know. I'm not saying that they're gonna that they had that good of a weekend, but I think that they should be pretty happy over like in my opinion, they should be pretty happy with how it went. Yeah, I I'm mean, not, in terms of Romanov versus Doc, like it's a toss-up for me in terms of which one I would. Rather I thought have. the return for Romanov was pretty solid. I don't it think was, he's shown, but much. I, 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 I like, like Romanov. Romanov okay. But I, yeah, I, I think I, I don't like think him. he's shown the ton, and I think flipping right, Romanov to turn him into Doc was a pretty smart move. I think they both haven't shown a ton. I, I think Romanov has shown more than Doc. Romanov's also older, so that makes sense. He's had more opportunities. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. Think that was the best asset management. I, I think I, I, I'm just, I don't know. And I do think it's funny that Chicago is imploding. <laughs> yeah. And on that well, note, I think that we're going to wrap this one up. Make sure to rate us five stars on radioshack.com. We are a premium uh, HDMI cable and we should be treated as such. Also, and, go look at Radio Shack's Twitter. They were bought out by Crypto Bros, and it's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, rest in peace to Brian Marchment. Very sad that we won't uh, be able to have him around to mentor the Young Sharks and and Mason. To all the Marchment family and the San Jose family, our thoughts are with you. 
and we'll leave it at that. And now TJ goes to the beach. Where's the recording button? This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.